Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. You are listening to Latin Ways. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson. I am delighted to be joined by journalist and author. My guest, Arnold August, is a prolific writer and someone who I respect his opinion on many issues that face us in our society. Thank you for joining us, Arnold. It's a pleasure to be with you once again. You know, I, I was um, talking to some elders and someone said, what do Indians want? And they said, a future, <laughs> you know. And, yeah, and right. to me, it just seems like we must not continue the crimes of our ancestors. You know, it's uh, yes, you and I were not the inventors of colonization as it exists today. You and I were not the creators of imperialism. But it is a responsibility to respond, to transform the layers and levers of injustice that we coexist with, you know, and to it is a responsibility to attend to the way um, this system of oppression has privileged some of us and completely dispossess many, you know, to create small uh, profit pockets for corporations and for people who, for whose greed, you know, there will never be enough, right? We will continue to have a virus, you know, because the virus is poverty, the virus is hunger, the virus that is truly killing people worldwide is hunger, you know, and we see it here in yeah. indigenous community without potable water, without food, without access to food because we removed them. And again, we had amendments to prevent indigenous people from even cultivating their food because they might compete with white farmers. Like there has been so many acts of violence all along. And if we were to just take the time to learn our own history, our own murderous history as a nation, we would also feel compelled not only to attend to it, to redress the harms, but to see how addressing the crimes of our of our ancestors is just as looking, you know, 20 years ago, you know, when we still had uh, the people coming forward saying this happened to me in residential schools and they're still coming today. Right. They're still there. So how do we respond to this moment? How do we not only hold accountable, but at the same time, take care of each other? Because I, I also feel that we can re-traumatize each other to the point of, you know, um, freezing, right? Instead of acting, we just become so burdened by the shame and guilt. We do nothing. And that's useless. You know, no one needs that. But rather, I think for me, the call is to be able to mobilize and to create hope through actions, to our collective actions and commitment to never let it happen again. I just mentioned before that, uh, when I said that why not sanctions against the Canadian government, it's sort of like a, a teaser, a bit of a pro provocation to shake people's minds up that sanctions should also be considered against the Canadian government. And there's also a move, I read, I read about this lately a few days ago, that some people are taking Canada to the International Criminal Court in The Hague, I believe, because of its 
policy of genocide. This is some, something that should be done seriously. Take Canada to the ICC and have the Canadian government try for genocide, for crimes against humanity as a result of its policies uh, against the indigenous nations. You know, and not only just take it to court, but have a mass movement in Canada where people say, yes, we support this demand that Canada should be taken to the International Criminal Court for its, its long-standing history of genocide, then I think we will be getting somewhere because people will have sort of a, an instrument, uh, a goal in order to, to move forward. I mean, the situation, you know, it calls for a you know, revolutionary outlook. I don't know if you recall, Sylvia, but just before the um, COVID-19 pandemic broke out, like the uh, but over a year ago, February of 2020, the, the demonstrations that were taking place all across Canada, you remember that? The roadblocks, the demonstrations, and many of the signs of the indigenous nations was the following. Reconciliation, no revolution, yes. Now, I'm not too sure what they mean by revolution, but it was definitely uh, not in favor of some very weak reforms of the Canadian India Act. You know, they and all the millions of people across Canada who supported that, you know, shut down Canada was supported widely across the country. And the only thing that stopped it was the pandemic. Trudeau was not able to stop it. The pandemic stopped it, hopefully in a temporary basis. So in this way, Indigenous people all across the country, the way they supported the shut down Canada movement before the pandemic, this has to be taken up again, I would say taking it wider as well, to also oppose Canada's foreign policy. They're spending billions of dollars as part of the U.S. aggression and offensive all over the world to control the world. And now it's, of course, uh, targeting China, because China is standing up as a country that uh, offers uh, perhaps a uh, another uh, outlook and another perspective with regards to how to organize the society and specifically the importance of supporting a multipolar world that not just the United States and its allies such as Canada have the you know rule over the world but other countries such as China, Iran, uh, Cuba, uh, Venezuela, etc. That these countries, Russia, even Russia are going against the unipolar model which the United States and its allies are trying to force on the peoples of the world. I think these, these things are, are, are connected, but I think one good thing would be, like Canada took uh, Venezuela to the International Criminal Court. Of course, that was led by Trudeau's uh, Zionist uh, cohort, who, who's a lawyer, and is known to be the most uh, stalwart Zionist in Canada, they took Venezuela to court. Of course, we don't agree with that. Well, how about taking Canada to court, as people are doing, for its crimes against humanity, for its genocide against indigenous people, and also supporting such a regime such as Israel, who is a champion of ethnic cleansing and genocide against the Palestinian peoples in 1948, you know, some people don't, well, we shouldn't get into geopolitics, but of course we should be. We should connect the dots mm -hmm. between what's happening in Canada, colonialism, what's happening abroad, imperialism, whether it's in Latin America or the Middle East. People such as yourself with your radio program and other uh, left 
media uh, combined together to raise this important point of colonialism at home, imperialism abroad. Yes, connect the dots. We will perhaps make some headway with regards to the need to for a radical change within Canada. I love that you connect the parts of colonization. You know, we're being colonized by capitalism, by the kinds of companies that impose new ways of being in our lives. You know, imperialism simply means one nation dictating how the rest of the world should conduct yeah. themselves right what kinds of you know religion whatever you can or cannot have right colonization means the occupation of the land the physical occupation yeah. we we've seen this example over and over and we're now learning that imperialism it continues to move at a speed that sometimes we, we we're losing sight but you're right to point out that palestinians are a land of people where their land was taken and now we see a new state the state of israel and it's in the same way you know we're seeing here in canada the lands of indigenous people that are unseated we now call canada the live reality is that indigenous people are continuously being oppressed displaced from their land their territories are being burned down to make way for mining companies for pipelines yeah. you know cutting down trees i mean it's just the genocide continues and that, I think, needs to be an awakening for all of us. Yes, I'm glad that you raised that issue of the, the system itself, if we still have time to do with it, because I think one thing, of course, the pandemic was terrible, and it still is, it's going on. But one good thing that came out of it is that the pandemic tore away the screen that was, uh, was covering the real nature of countries such as Canada, that is capitalism. Like, how come a country such as Canada, with all the resources and all that, it could cannot have a proper health system when people were, were, were dying in, uh, as a result of COVID in, the, in different residences for elderly people and all that, or, you know, amongst Native people? There are many other examples. Like, how come, like, in Canada, why should health be in the hands of private individuals? You know, can, can anyone answer that? You know, in countries where this is not the case, such as uh, Cuba or Venezuela or China, Vietnam, they have been able to uh, combat COVID much more efficiently, effectively than a wealthy country such as Canada. So uh, let us have this debate go on. You know, that the, the pandemic showed that the capitalist system is not a system that is appropriate for the health and the well-being of the people something positive comes out of the pandemic, there would be an open debate on this issue of the system and the need to replace the system. In Winnipeg, uh, Indigenous nations asked uh, the Canadian government formally to uh, send Cuban medical doctors to Manitoba and their medication in order to help the uh, Indigenous nations to confront COVID. This was refused by the uh, Trudeau government. You know, it's a real shame. And how so many countries have accepted and worked with the Cuban Medical Brigade. But Canada is one of the only countries that blocked a demand by nothing less than the uh, ambitious nations to have medical brigades and their medication coming to Canada. And then I noticed right after that, a few months later, uh, after that, the issue of, of COVID in Manitoba, especially in the area 
where the uh, indigenous nations live, it became worse. So what the Canadian government said in response to that demand by the indigenous nations, what Christian Freeland said on behalf of Trudeau, he said, oh, no, no, in Canada, we don't need help from anywhere else. anyone else. We have a great health system. Tell us about that. Such a great health system that so many people died as a result. And even, you know, it was really like pulling teeth trying to get uh, vaccinations from, from other countries. You know, the, the pandemic is bad, but it's also raising some very important issues that perhaps can guide us uh, in the future with regards to the domestic situation and the international situation. We as a nation have been lulled by this nice PR of our government that we are a democratic nation, that we are superior to other, you know, team pot nations, right? We're not a dictatorship. We have two different parties that we can choose from, right? We never even think that we have a third option, right? That an NDP government may, po- may be a possibility. We have given up in many ways our own power, and that has facilitated, you know, our own demise in some ways because we now see workers being so vulnerable. Our unions are not what they used to be in the 1920s with the Wobblies movement, you know, who were inspiring worldwide workers to unite, to to reimagine themselves, um, you know, and their power because nothing can be built without a worker. You can have all the money in the world. I don't care who you are, Bill Gates, whoever, he still needs workers to make his, you know, uh, objects manufactured. So without workers, we cannot have anything. So if workers were to put down their tools and say, no more, let's have a universal income for everyone. Let's make sure every indigenous community has water. We would make it happen in a second. So in many ways, I think it's about us remembering our power, our power to co-create together. None of us do it alone. And to share, to share our resources, because a capitalism imprints us with this epidemic of greed, you know, accumulation to silence, you know, all the things that we're losing. When you say share resources, just that, those two words, fly in the face of capitalism. Capitalism does not believe in sharing resources. They believe only in using resources so that it profits the capitalists. You know, whether it's in Canada or supporting uh, the uh, capitalist uh, corporate uh, groups that want to uh, have control over Latin America and the mining uh, mining uh, results in Latin America. I think this is what, what it's all about. I think that we're sort of in a, a pivotal period as far as North and South America is concerned, if I may put them together. With the election uh, yesterday just being confirmed of the left-wing candidate in Peru. This is a major upset. And this follows the election uh, of the uh, movement uh, for socialism uh, in Bolivia. You have the Argentina now has a a more progressive government. Uh, And there are other examples uh, as well. Like, uh, so we have, and Venezuela, despite all the attempts to smash Venezuela by Canada and United States, Venezuela has held strong and recently had elections which confirm their overall orientation. So this is what's happening in Latin America. So we have to ask ourselves in Canada, are we going to be part of this hemisphere's uh, move towards the left, move against neoliberalism, 
like you know uh, for example Chile I think you mentioned is a country which is sort of the poster boy of neoliberalism the way things are going now it might even be a communist who is elected president of Chile he may or he may not be but the fact that it's a possibility that this thing is being discussed what just happened in Peru yesterday previously in Bolivia etc all of this indicates that in Latin America there is a move towards the left against neoliberalism against capitalism and especially against U.S. domination of Latin America. So we in Canada, I think we have to be consciously part of that hemispheric movement against U.S. domination and its allies such as the Canadian government and in favor of a movement that challenges the capitalist system, that challenges colonialism at home in Canada. And I love that you brought Latin America because the the social movements um in Colombia, in one of the most dangerous countries right now in Latin America, Colombia for too long has held the number one place of the most murderous government against, um, you know, labor organizers and people. You know, it's just been a, a and and people know this is this was the most unlikely of places for an uprising. You know, they have seven military U.S. bases. They have they are armed to the teeth, and yet. And yet, people are standing, and they've been on the streets since you know April, and so it yeah. you know it's very um, inspiring, and at the same time, a very important time to be in solidarity with social movements throughout that region, especially with people in Colombia, and to be in solidarity with movements here, our indigenous people here in. In, in, in Turtle Island, you know, uh, we see there was Suetan people fighting pipelines. We've seen the headwaters being clear cut and the government uh, sending the RCMP to prevent people's access to their own lands. We see the fight against uranium mines in the, you know, near the tar sands. We see the continuous poisonous of in, poisoning of indigenous people's lands and their food. And so it's time, it's time we not only stand for a movement towards life, and in the face of COVID, it is evident we cannot carry on the way we are because those viruses will just continue to come at us. We will continue to be faced by virus. You know, they're now talking of having some vaccine every year because the the virus continues to mutate. Well, to me, this sounds, you know, what, what about talking about health prevention, you know, health maintenance, not, not just disease prevention? Why can't we start talking about cleaning our water, cleaning our rivers of pollution, you know, getting rid of um, oil as our main source of, you know, fuel and, and reimagining our society in coexistence with life, in coexistence with, you know, our natural world. So to me, yeah. the, those are the the moments, right? This is the moment we were born for to transform our society, to create a world where everybody can be can be seen, can feel heard, and nurtured by life. What inspires you and uh, maybe about what possibilities you see in uh, U.S.-Cuba relations and how, how are we to move beyond, you know, the decades of embargo and blockades and isolation that Cuba has been put through? 
Well, I think the first thing is that with regards to the United States, Cuba, one has to uh, recognize the fact that uh, the Biden administration is just carrying out the uh, Trump administration's attacks against uh, Cuba. Some people have said that, quoting from uh, uh, Biden's administrators and spokespersons who say that, well, Cuba is not one of our prior- priorities. This is a lie. Cuba is one of the main priorities of the United States, but that priority is called the subversion, subversion of the Cuban revolution. Let us make, you know, despite all the, you know, nice talk and things like that, the, the United States from the beginning through Obama and now uh, Trump and now Biden, in an indirect or direct way, the goal has always been to subvert the Cuban revolution and to convert Cuba once again into sort of a semi-colony of the United States as it was before the revolution took place in 1959. At the same time, in the United States, there is a increasing number of social movements, people in the uh, U.S. Congress, in the Senate, and the House of Representatives, municipalities as well, have taken a stand against the blockade, as well as important economic forces, such as the uh, uh, those who produce uh, agriculture products, such as rice, uh, who see Cuba as an excellent and important uh, market of eight, 11 million people that would like to import rice and other such products. So this movement is going on in the United States, while the Biden administration is carrying out its, uh, its, its policy of the priority for Cuba, as far as he is concerned, is to undermine the Cuban Revolution. And as far as we're concerned, like in Canada, uh, the Trudeau policy also indirectly supports the American policy. We keep on mentioning that the Trump administration carried out over 252, 252 different measures against Cuba. Now, Trudeau only spoke out about one, at one time in this whole period of four years or three years, when he said that uh, he is against the extraterritorial application of the uh, blockade because it affects Cuban businesses. That's all he said in a year and a half. You know, I don't think that we can say uh, that Canada uh, has uh, a friendly attitude towards Cuba when they cannot even speak, you know, Trudeau, could not say one word against all of the activities carried out by Trump against Cuba. And in addition to that, and I don't think you know, you know by now, I like, I like linking the dots in geopolitics, even, some, even if some people don't like when I do that. But while this has been going on, Trudeau has been the main ally of Donald Trump in trying to subvert the most important ally of Cuba, that is Venezuela, the Maduro government. So what kind of a friend is this? <laughs> you know, I think you know, Trudeau just threw Cuba under the bus in order to help the United States in its quest to subvert the uh, Bolivarian revolution, subvert the government, legally elected government of Maduro. So you know, we could pretend to say, well, Cuba, uh, Canada's attitude towards Cuba is okay, but you know, the policy of appeasement can be very difficult to have some very negative results if we give the uh, Trudeau government any leeway uh, uh, by saying that, well, the, the Cuban government, the Canadian government is fine 
had very good relationship with the with with Cuba. Well, without saying a word against the blockade, or without saying a word uh, with regards to uh, Venezuela, what with uh, what uh, Trump is trying to do to subvert Venezuela. For me, friendship goes a bit beyond that. And you quite rightly to point out, not only was the Canadian government supportive of the aggression, which began with Obama, to be fair. It wasn't Trump that started the aggression against Venezuela. Uh, Obama began that. You know, the sanctions began with Obama. Uh, Trump continued, and Biden has just put more fuel on that. But it was really Canadian government that led the charge against Venezuela with the coalition, you know, the Lima coalition. And uh, and it has been a complete failure because the Venezuelan people have... have successfully basically defeated their multitude attempts at coup in in Venezuela. However, I think it is very appropriate to point out that, you know, it is everyone's responsibility to ensure that our government is not engaged in imperialist acts that destroy other people's way of being. There's been thousands of people who have died as a result of the sanctions against Venezuela. Not the COVID, but the sanctions that cause hunger right. and has you know, made it an impossible for the government to bring in food and, and medicines that they need. And in the same way, I yeah. think here, uh, within Turtle Island, we have to acknowledge the ways the government impedes indigenous people from being able to have access to resources that they need. You know, we know that in Canada, for every thousand dollar, every dollar that is spent in, in you know, uh, in indigenous education, there's like a thousand dollars for another student in white settlements. You know, so the the inequity and the violence is continued, and is and it's. Um, it's time. It's time that we pay attention and, like you suggest, connect the dots. That's the main thing. We should not be intimidated by those who try to uh, say well, we're too radical because we're connecting the dots between uh, Canada and the United States and its policy towards uh, Latin America. We have to connect the dots because that is the reality. You know? And you know, one thing that comes to mind if we're heading into the closing minutes is that what happened in Palestine was really significant, and it still is significant. You know, we know that genocide is being carried out by the United States, Israel, and its allies, such as Canada, against the Palestinian people. The only reason that genocide has not been completely consummated is because Palestinian people refuse to uh, annihilate themselves. They, they keep on resisting, even in the most difficult conditions. You know, at the same time when that was going on, we also had the, you know, genocidal attacks against the people in Colombia, two different continents. Mm-hmm. And in both these continents, <clears throat> sorry, the United States and Canada are fully involved in suppressing these type of movements. So, yes, we have to connect the dots. We have to speak out with regards to Canada being colonialism at home, imperialism abroad, Canada being an imperialist country, but also a very close ally of of the United States and all the crimes that's being carried out in different parts of the world. Thank you very much for the conversation. When I interviewed with you, I, I don't feel that you're interviewing me. I feel that we're having a conversation, a discussion amongst you know like-minded people with regards to the future of Canada, with regards to Canada's role in the world as well.
Thank you again, Arno, for everything that you do, for the multitude of ways that you call us to attention to the injustice that is right in front of us, right? And why it's important for us to act and be yeah. the change we want to see in the world. Thank you again for being with us. How can people access your books? Well, the easiest thing would, would be to go to my website. It's easy. It's www.arnoldaugust, one word, arnoldaugust.com. There you have the links to my articles sorry, in English, Spanish, and French, as well as to my books, which are still available. Thank you again for being with us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com.